Now, the shotgun start in golf is full of mathematics. Um, there's a lot of a lot of setup work that we have to do in order to make a tournament work. So I'm going to demonstrate to you just exactly how we do a shotgun start here. And here we go. All right, all right, all right. Gentlemen, start your Greetings and welcome to a Wednesday edition of the Shotgun Start. It is May 27th. Andy, how we doing? Brendan, I'm doing good. How about you? I'm good. Fantastic. Beautiful, beautiful day. Weather talk here. More weather small talk. Quarantine small talk. Beautiful day here. You know, touched 80. It just makes you a little extra, a little extra peppy until we get into full on sweat sweat season in maryland which is like just a sauna built on a swamp but so we're in a nice little like middle trial period and my vow to not turn the air conditioning on the very like dad like dad shit type stuff I, I refuse to turn on the ac before we get to june this year and i think we're gonna make it you know it, it's just against principle to turn it on and often we can't make it around here but lucky you. so if, i think we're getting there this week could get dicey we might touch 90 but uh, that's that's the big drama of the week. That's we were at eighty seven yesterday. Did you turn on the air? Yeah. Do you have air? Yeah. You did. Air. Oh. Yeah. Soft little millennial over there. Turn <laughs> on the air. You no, know what? Kidding. <laughs> <laughs> See, the, one of our issues, our house, our to, our our second floor. It's a old, really old house. Our second floor. It doesn't get cold in the the AC like doesn't work in the winter or in the in the summer. Yeah. And then in the winter, the heat doesn't work up there at all. It's like oh, yeah. freezing cold up there, or it's really hot, and it's just like it just sucks. <laughs> I've had this issue as well. We don't need to get into home HVAC issues right now. But um, what else? How are you doing? Are you good? Everything I'm, I'm fine? Doing okay, I got after it a little bit yesterday. So <laughs> today, st- today I've been shaking <laughs> off some cobwebs. You know, we exchanged texts yesterday, probably about five, six o'clock. And at that point, I thought the likelihood of Ernie L's part two happening on Wednesday was uh, in doubt, in peril. And sure enough, we will not be doing that tonight. You know, we, I was like, man, like holiday Monday after show done, like that rivals like the Thursday night feeling after finishing for the week. And uh, we were both on our way uh, and worse for the wear Tuesday to start the week. You know, when you don't have to podcast, you get that extra day. Uh, we took full advantage. So there will be no Ernie. We're going to do a flashlight on a fun character, maybe two flashlights and do a little talk about uh, talking about news here. Uh, yeah. So what should we start with? Ernie's, Ernie's going to be Friday. Allegedly. It, Ernie it, will be. It will Friday. be. And have no fear. I mean, these are all going to be stitched together in the end in some larger project, right? We're not going to have part one, part two, talking about random news. It'll be presented in a, a larger library at some point down the line. Whenever, when all of you want to re-listen to two hours <laughs> on Ernie Els. Sandy Lyle and whoever else. Uh, okay, news. Match The match is the largest rating for a cable golf event in history. 
so cable limits it somewhat. You know, I guess that what is that? Golf Channel, the TNT first couple rounds. Masters, Masters, ESPN. Uh, that doesn't count. Oh, oh, ESPN part. Yeah, I gotcha. First couple rounds. Yeah, 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 yeah. Early rounds of majors. It's pretty yeah. impressive. So, what was it? Five point eight. You said five point eight. Six point three. I think at one point. I'm not a ratings person. I think this is often. I don't even know what it means. Does, does it does it imbue any kind of, you know, I don't know, value on a thing, whether it was good or bad. It's just it was popular at the time. That doesn't mean something was worthwhile. But if again, it was I think, better than the last dance. Was it? Mm-hmm. That was average five six. Good. So yeah, not to say this wasn't worthwhile. I'm just saying ratings sometimes are just this Twitter nonsense we chase. But it was massively popular. Do what do you attribute this? And do you think anything should be taken? You know, should we take some sort of learning or extrapolate this in a way going forward? I I think that it was it's very easy to understand why it did well. You had probably the two most recognizable golfers, and then you had two of the greatest quarterbacks of all time playing with them. So you, Beyond the two most recognizable golfers, like the most recognizable golfer of all time, like the oh biggest yeah. t- television draw of all time, not just, you know, the most recognizable of an era, but a phenomenon, a Michael Jordan type draw. So, so. Y- you had, you, you pulled from numerous cross sections, you know, yes. and then also obviously with the pandemic going on, you had no competition. You were up against nothing, which is a huge part of it. I think there was a curiosity that came into it. I, I think the peak came like really when the mm-hmm. word had really spread on Tom Brady kind of being terrible. tripping over himself. Yeah. So like there was a curiosity that touched a lot of buckets that probably won't come back for golf, but that's fine. You know, whatever well, they got exposure here. Here's the thing. It's like Bill Simmons and Ryan Rosillo led their show talking about golf for 40 minutes. Well, that's because there were no other sports. Yeah. But at the same time, they were talking about how they enjoyed watching it. Okay. And they aren't golf fans. They're not golfers. Like that's the thing that this thing did was that it made golf approachable. Maybe. A usually yeah. unapproachable yeah. sport. Not unapproachable, but difficult to approach sport. It made very approachable, easy to get into and easy to follow. Okay. So there was a curiosity about it. I, I think it's I think the ratings are great. I thought the broadcast was great. I thought it was presented well. Um, whether that means like the ratings are justification for it was it, the ratings were high because of who was involved in the time in which it, this sportsless time it was you know proceeding. So I think to um, reason that the rating were because of the way it was covered or the broadcast or that they were mic'd up is really sort of like a fool's errand. Like, and I saw a little bit of that happening. Colin Coward, um, you know, kind of whatever. We don't, we've cited now Bill Simmons, Ryan Russell, and Colin Coward in the last 90 seconds. But like, I, I think to say the rating was because of the way it was broadcast is kind of a fall is precarious, especially going forward, thinking that you'll get big ratings all of a sudden because you have mic'd up players. That doesn't mean you shouldn't have mic'd up players, but I, I think I saw a lot of justification for the ratings being, you know, using the, the broadcast for it. I will say if you promote a better broadcast, you will get better ratings. What does that mean? 
if you have a better product, you will get yeah. better ratings. That's true. So you what's know? what's re- replicable though? What, what I think I think the mic'd up players is replicable. Yeah. I think the format of of hey, we're gonna put people and we're gonna play matches. People understand matches. People understand it's really easy and it's something easy to follow. I'm gonna watch this guy play this guy, and it's interesting because then you pick a guy and you root for him. You know. Yeah, that's true. Like that's the thing that golf lacks is uh, who's your favorite golf? Everybody asks me who's your favorite golfer, and I'm like, you know, I don't know. I really don't have one. Why don't you have one? Well, I I don't I don't really care. But if you ask me any other sport, what's your favorite team? It's immediate. I know what it is because they play against other teams, and I have to root for them. With with a golf tournament, they're they're playing against 144 guys. Like you don't necessarily root for golfers. You're just, you just watching a tournament and you're very rarely rooting for it. Cause it's not a win lose proposition. Most weeks for these guys. I saw Charles Barkley today on Dan Patrick show, exhorting the PGA tour to mic up the players, especially if they're coming back with no fans. So, that seems like a good idea in theory. I think people, you know, we've been calling for mic'd up players forever. It's never um, going to happen because the players won't let it happen. And the players run the organization. They run the league. I. Why do you think they? Why don't you think they'll let it happen if they Remember care about their product and Remember what happened with the John Rom thing last year. That uh, sawgrass. Yeah, like just take that <laughs> as one example. Like, I don't know what we could do more. I'm I'm convinced that somehow out of this whole thing, the PGA Tour is going to take one aspect of the match and think this is what we need to do and then turn it into the worst thing they could possibly, like, just ruin it. This is just the cynical, cynical side of me. What, the mic'd up thing? Just, like, one aspect of the match. They're going to take, like, you know, some one club challenge and they're going to make it just miserable. They're going to beat it to death and kill it. You know, the Wyndham rewards lawn drive hole type yeah. thing. Yeah. If you have the longest some... drive, you get an extra mint on your pillow <laughs> kind of thing. There's somehow going to be like, we learned this from this and, and then they're going to turn it into something terrible. I, I just, do you think mic'd up players, I think even my, I do you think, think that's going to give player. us a lot of value in the way it did the other day is what I'm saying. Yes. So the other day you had JT there kind of like instigating more discussion, explaining the shots. You you think a we would get a lot of player caddy convos that would get cut into the broadcast. That that's the thing. Can the coverage keep up with it? Can they I, cut it in? You know, it's going to have to be censored no matter what. So like, but there's going to be a delay and all that. But. I mean, that's one of the big challenges of golf, right? Is like, how do you cover if there's 20 guys within three shots of the lead on yeah. Sunday? Like, how yeah. do you possibly have people that are able to follow all those conversations? I think one thing that jumped to my mind when you were just saying that was like, it would be pretty awesome for PGA Tour Live. Yeah. Where maybe that's yeah. where it starts, where you mic up players for PGA Tour Live. And that early round coverage all of a sudden has a little bit more juice to it. And the the announcers there have to carry so much of the broadcast. Like, you know, if... And again, in a, in like a, we said the other day, they're very... I mean, they have that much more experience, but they're also just kind of watching a screen like we are at home and trying to guess on some of the stuff. 
based yeah. on their knowledge and experience, which is much more vast than the average viewer. But the other thing with to... PGA Tour Live, watching PGA Tour Live is essentially watching an event without fans. Like Thursday morning heritage totally. does not totally. it's not like there's a raucous environment there. Yeah. Like so totally. like what when Barkley says like you can't have golf come back without fans, it's like, well, do you ever watch golf on Thursday and Friday? Because <laughs> it's kind of what it is. <laughs> All right, so that's going to make a better product. If in a dream world, it would make a better product, and that would make. I think PGA more Tour popular, Live would be higher, like. I kind of like watching. I I like watching PGA Tour Live almost more than I like watching like Saturday Sunday coverage. Wow, they'll be ecstatic to hear that at Panavidra HQ, their streaming product. Very I, popular in the egg household. Well, I love watching guys play full rounds because I think you lose that with the way that coverage jumps around. But like watching a guy play a full round, you you really learn a lot. Like you don't have to be perfect, and mm-hmm. there are a lot of little things that happen that that are why you know, especially back in the day when Spieth didn't stink, like how he could turn around into sixty six, and you're like, God, he, he shouldn't have shot anything below 72 but you watch and in it and there's interest there's about how these guys can plot along and all of a sudden if they added mike players pga tour live would be an excellent product so here's my main point with that you wouldn't even announce you wouldn't need announcers maybe here's my main point about that that i think mic'd up players is an advancement that also caters to the core audience and the core product, right? And ideally makes your product better. So much of this stuff that they're trying to improve their product or spice up the broadcast, A, turns off your core group, which is a very wealthy kind of, not that that matters, but like your audience is like a very highly valuable diehard type audience. And, and they think, well, I guess they think you'll come back no matter what, whatever kind of fluff. And, you know, here's Nick Faldo lifting weights or here's the FedEx Cup you know, cartoon, like, I guess they think you'll come back no matter what, but this would be a thing that a kind of enriches the experience for those people and B, you know, improves the core product to, you know, create a curiosity from, for the outsider bucket that they're always looking to chase. Um, that's my whole thing with this, with always our complaints about the tour is like, they get so far afield from like who their real audience is and who their product is. They risk turning off like what makes what could make it good and what makes their audience valuable. So, mm-hmm. uh, and I think live mics is a, doesn't turn off anybody. You know, it doesn't turn anyone away. All right, anything else on the ratings? Care about that? Or I, I think I mean it, it. It says something. It says this is a product. You know you there's obvious things that worked in its advantage hugely in its advantage to its advantage. But if this was a normal sports Sunday, I'm confident that that still would have outrated a typical PGA tour Sunday. And that says something. Sure. If it, if this format with four golfers, two of two of whom suck is, is a better product is, is a, is a more popular product than your core product. That's not a good thing. (laughs) It's not a <laughs> yeah. good thing at all. It's a good point. And I but think if they're doing it every week or tw- three times a month, does it lose its kind of fizzles after? No, six, I don't six think so. Because or... if you have your best players playing, like your your biggest stars playing, there's always going to be huge interest. I we I was texting with somebody who will remain nameless uh, about 
how big of a problem uh, load management is considered in the NBA, where you know these yeah. guys are playing sixty games of an eighty-two season, eighty-two game season, and superstars are, are like you know people buy tickets and superstars don't play right in a game. Yeah, yeah. And the 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 league is like at vehemently like at a like so split and torn about load management and they're addressing it's a huge problem we need our star players playing as every time they can right every they want to have them play in every game okay the pga tour is essentially like the opposite it's like surprising when the star players play they have so many events and it's so diluted yeah you know, like they're they're it's so rare. Like we're like we get so excited when it's Riviera Week, and we're like, so hey, what are you, you know suggesting? What? Like, though ten of the top twelve players are in the field. There, the what the, are you trying to? But you're suggesting we add more. You're suggesting we had Tuesday these Tuesday night. Of, yeah, but with star players because it's so rare we actually get to see star players play, and we it's there's it's the reason there's no rivalries. They never they play the same week ten weeks a year. So they they yeah. play 10, could, 10 events they all play in, okay? And then every other event, it's like maybe you might have two of the top 10 guys. You might have, you know, sometimes we have events where you have one top 20 player. It's just a th- joke. It's it, There's too many events. The, the tour has diluted its product too much. Do you think way. real rivalry can be kind of fostered and born in that setting? Yes. The goofy, silly season game. If you like make we saw it worth Sunday. something, that's the thing we, I learned from the podcast we did with Stephen Proctor. Is like those challenge matches back in the day were were four. This is not what would happen now, but it was four days of thirty six hole match play, <laughs> and yeah. and things would get chippier. It was yeah. like a playoff series, right? And like right. by the final day. There, there's like bad blood between players, and you're not gonna. These guys, the best players of the world, are are all extraordinarily competitive, right. and if if they're doing a season of match play thing of these, the best players in the world are in this thing, and like I'm Rory and I lose to Brooks three times in a row, I'm gonna be like trying really hard. Like I, you don't want to lose the guy fourth time. Like, do you, do you think the PGL is? approximates this what you're what you're the pgl messed up by doing stroke play i i know they want the stroke play for the official world golf rankings but where the chippiness would come is these matches okay and i think that's where the greater appeal comes it's so easy to understand it's like okay he won that hole he lost that hole there's a win loss every single hole there's there's a match within the match right yeah. Like that's what's the compelling thing about match play. And if you had four matches on the golf course at once, yeah. You wouldn't have any dead time too. It would be uh, one of the best one of my favorite days of watching golf is like that that round of like quarters 16 mm-hmm. in the yeah. USAM and they've got all those matches going on and they just are shoot they're going back and forth I, from the day I was a, from when I was a kid till like you know, and it's the same thing with singles on Sunday at the Ryder Cup. It's incredible. All, all of the Ryder Cups are incredible. And that's essentially yeah. what you could do. The problem is getting to the the way you could do it where you wouldn't hurt the OWGR thing 
is if it was like a season long thing with with a select group of guys. And th- and that's where the PGA Tour could own it and have a real product. I think it's good. And it's another thing they could sell. That's the other thing. Yeah. So why, why uh, they're just committed to these old events, right? Or these old they're markets. They're just committed to the middle the middling and, pro. Yeah. This is right. everything they do is 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 really helps the middling pro, and that it's just not a real thing. A more money in the top of the game is is going to be good for the middle of the game. Yeah. Okay, let's move on. High ratings, you know. Congrats to everyone involved. Affirmation of what they had planned and what they wanted to do. I think it was double the rating of the. Seminal one, or you know, more than double. Yeah, whatever it was, you didn't have quarterbacks and Tiger Woods in that one either. So uh, they didn't even okay. do a good job promoting it, though. Either that's kind of the amazing thing. It was. I think they just, you know, relied on there not being a ton of sports out there and word of mouth a little bit. Twitter, I, I don't know, but yeah, it wasn't an onslaught like the first one, right? And yeah. they didn't have a lot of time. They had to whip it together in a month or something. So. Uh, congrats to everyone involved on your high rating. Uh, other news. Uh, you want to talk about the slam doc, Tiger Woods slam doc, or you want to push that off? Talk about another. Time. I don't know who watched it. I watched it uh, last night, and I was disappointed. Why? And this could be partial, partially because I just watched the Last Dance. Yeah, and. You know, Tiger's on this in the same you know stratosphere of greatness of as One Michael of Jordan, few. like and, and and worldwide sort of recognized appeal and all that stuff. So and yeah. uh, you know, Golf Channel hyped it up and like was really pumping it. And you know, I saw things like, "Oh, Last Dance is you know this is our we're up next stuff." And it's just and then I watched it. I just was like, "What?" What, what did I? I didn't learn anything. And there's so much there. And you didn't like just, having. It just I, gave me nothing. Maybe I'm in this moment of uh, just really during this pandemic diving into history of the game. So I just I thought it was easy and light historical thing to watch for me. I liked having Butch and Stevie involved. I think yeah. that was adding some value there. Peeling just, back a few things. Uh, they didn't have obviously any, while they we're, didn't have any of the guys that like were trying to beat them. They didn't have yeah. Ernie Els. They didn't have uh, VJ. They didn't have Phil. Phil talking like it was. It, I thought it was pretty like actually awful that they <laughs> went after yeah. after this like the great and they said it numerous times like arguably the greatest athletic achievement of all time. And now they've they've burned it. They can't ever do it again. You can't do a documentary on the 2000 U.S. Open. They, they can't do a, a Tiger Slam doc again. They why is it why was it 45 minutes? You're you're talking about the greatest athletic achievement, arguably the greatest athletic achievement ever. And you give it 45 minutes. And it was just basically like if I just went on Wikipedia and skimmed what happened in each tournament. <laughs> it was a joke. I liked seeing Butch and uh, Stevie. Some of the broadcasters attesting to it were fine. Tiger, of course, did not cooperate for it. 
Um, I didn't have a strong opinion either way. I, thought I it just was... was really let down. Okay. I thought it was good to, uh, for our, my own purposes, as we, you know, part two of Ernie begins with 2000s, the year 2000. Yeah, and I learned there. nothing. That's part of the reason I wanted to watch it. There's nothing on Ernie. Yeah. I didn't learn anything about anything. It was <laughs> all, right. all just basically surface level stuff. All right. So there's our comment. I'm, right. hey, I'm not going to debate no, you on it. I, I don't no have a strong putting together. I've actually very small experience putting together documentaries, but I just, I've having watched a lot of 30 for 30s, almost every single one. And it was, it was just a shit product. <laughs> so we'll put your opinion as a strong one in the well, strong camp about this. The other thing too, is like they tried to dress it up and make it seem cool with like big text and like, good narrator they had omar like, from the wire right yeah uh, but, narrating but it just wasn't an onyx it was yeah it was it was it had all the bells and whistles but none of none of the stuff that matters it'd be like buying a you know a, buying a ferrari body you know everything a ferrari has but then having like the engine of a of a mazda miata in it all right so we have opinions on the slam dock I, I do not have an opinion either way. I'm 25 minutes. In I mean, who's going to watch the, the Tiger Slam? Well, here's dock. the thing. We're talking about it four days after it happened, so we can't. I mean, it already it already aired. Well, there's a reason I didn't hear anything about it either. Okay. That's the other thing. It's like I was like curious. I wanted to watch it, and then I turned it on, and I realized why I hadn't. nothing had blown up across my Twitter feed for four days. <laughs> We did get someone requesting us to do a spotlight on Butch, Butchie. So all out of it, I, I noticed that. Um, all right, any other any other news you want to talk about before we get to Rocket? I Anything? got a hunch. Oh, a hunch. A hunch. You're yeah. big on hunches. What what's the hunch now? I got a hunch that that uh, John Deere is not happening. Whoa. An actual PGA Tour event on the schedule as part of this. this I think it's a, this is this is a hunch. This is this is know, the first one with don't with read fans. into it any more than just a hunch. This is the first one with fans as of now. Supposed to be after the first four without fans. I right? can guarantee you that if it does happen, the fans will not be happening. And so this is this is my 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 great state I live in here in Illinois will not be having a fan fan uh, event. And so your hunch is that it it won't happen at all? It may I'm, not happen at all? It's my hunch that... Well, I mean, we have the strictest re- restrictions of any state. Okay. And I don't think anything is going... But your hunch is based off more than that, perhaps. My hunch? my I, It's just my hunch. All right. We'll see. I can't wait. We're uh, maybe further, further and I reporting think, I on think such they'll probably, uh They'll probably fill that date with another event. Yeah, that would make sense. I heard... I heard Less hunchy, more rumory that the PGA. Cal- so all these are starting to open up the professional sports teams, right? You know, the, yeah. even New Jersey, all the you know sports teams are allowed back. I heard PGA is like, as you, it seems like it's going to go ahead. California at the start of this didn't seem likely to maybe have it be ready in August, but it seems like that's going to be. I heard one that's like ninety percent probably without fans, which would. Makes sense at this point, 
but there's still a slight odd chance they move it to Valhalla. Small, small, small chance. I think it's probably just going to be at Harding Park unless something is Valhalla, dramatically Valhalla changes. Valhalla is on the schedule again, right? I assume so. They own it, right? PGA of America owns it. I feel like I they should. I mean, like one the the best aspect of the PGA at Harding Park, you know, like mm-hmm. the PGA at Harding Park is not a story of we're going to a great golf course. It is a story of we're going to San a Francisco. golf course in a city. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is it a muni? What is it? TP? Yeah, it's I mean, it's, it's a public it's course. A, a, yes. It's, I think it's, I don't know exactly that, but I think it's a muni. I think it's city run. But like that's, you know the, that's the, um, the appeal of that championship. So yeah. to me, it would make a lot of sense if you're not, if you, you know, we're not, they're not going to have fans there. Like I think it's, yeah, it's, it's like probably going to be at Harding Park first, whatever, second weekend of August or first weekend and almost no fans. So. All right, interesting hunch on the deer. Let's get to uh, Rucket, our spring evolving into summer of Rucket. I had him out yesterday. Which one? Chippers? The Chippers. Hack? Whack-a-hack? Yeah, I, the we, Chippers. I actually we, played the Whack-a-hack game because it's supposed to be like bags. Scoring. Yeah. I had. Who'd a, you play with? By yourself? Back no, and no, forth? No, we had uh, our, our uh, friends that live in, in the town came over it was all social distancing you know we yeah. sat outside you know yeah. and yeah. uh we played i played whack-a-hack oh he stood How one end sco- i stood the other and we hit we we made up our own scoring okay i think there's official rules and in the instructions but i just made one and i i don't know where my instructions are anymore yeah all right well there you go so uh, Solid endorsement for the, the very specifics fun. of the game. No, I, I agree. It is. That, again, my whole pitch on the whack hack is it's like cornhole, except you're also ideally sharpening the skill you will actually use somewhere beyond just your backyard. Did you do uh, anything, any rocketing over the weekend? I did a little soccer goal rocketing. We did we did whack-a-hacks. That's, that's what we've been doing that and the uh, soccer goal the most, I would say. Occasionally, like once a week, I'll get out the big... Uh, Golf the net. hack, yeah, the hack net with the tri turf mat. So, but yeah, we, we the, the 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 chipper nuts. Our friends got one. I said the you, chipper you have, nets are like literally like they're addicting. They are. They're so again some real dad shit. Like I can put them up in ten seconds. Yeah, they're just easy. the The bags are buried in the back of my shed. They're so heavy. They're a pain in the ass to get out. Uh, you know, the bags are rotten now. They're getting, you know, they're, they're going bad. We got to order new bags. Like, you didn't take care of them, huh? Yeah. Well, the, the chip, the whack hack is out, up 10 seconds, down in 10 seconds. I remember honestly, that. You as a dad, trust, you can't be trusted with, with nice things. That's what I take so away that's, from this. Your bags all right, are rotting. So what's the, it's sad. I think my wife is demanding we get more stuff for the backyard. And she's like, hey, talk to Rucket. And maybe we'll go with the rebounder or something like that. So, um, but what's our promo code for Rucket? SGS15. SGS 15. 15 gets you 15% off an order of $100 or more. Uh, seems like our audience has uh, dived in, I would Dove say. In. Dove in. <laughs> uh, a lot of positive, positive word uh, uh, and use. We got one this week. Kid, kid was chipping in his backyard. 
The big thing with your kids is when do you decide to discard the foam balls and put real balls in play or do you just keep using the foam balls? That's what our friends are debating I was right worried now. yesterday with my buddy. He's not very good at golf. Okay, yeah. And yeah. I, was, I was like, I don't know if we should be using real, real golf balls. I mean, one kid refuses to not use anything but real balls now. And it's a problem because he takes great delight in hitting as hard as he can. And we don't live in an area with, you know, acres all over the place. So it's, it's a big debate when you have kids. I, I think I, I've right. got, I've got like, um, I'm, I'm thinking about stretching it out. I've got a spot where I could put it, where I could hit like 50 yard wedges to it. And I'm without really much th- danger precarious. I mean, how dangerous would it get? Not very dangerous. You know, I think I'm thinking about stretching it out one of these days. Because you have no fence anymore. You got more room to roam. This is all outside the fence. This has no bearing on the fence. Okay. All right. So Rucket.com, SGS15 is our promo code. Thank you guys for supporting us and them uh, during this pandemic time. All right. What do you want to do now? Spotlight? Flashlights, I should say. Flashlight? Flashlight. All right. You got a big flashlight. I don't know if it's a big flashlight. It's got, yeah, double D batteries, things like that. I've I've got like one of those mini flashlights, and it could have been a bigger flashlight, but I... I ran out of energy. There you go. Worse for the wear. To be clear, this this character is probably fully uh, suitable for a blown out spotlight. We're just, you know, crunch for time. We don't, you know, trying to balance everything these days. So this is a Jumbo Ozaki. Mashahi Jumbo Ozaki. My pronunciations uh, are always challenged. My ability to pronounce things and they will be especially challenged. In this spotlight, so I apologize. Flashlight, I apologize in advance. But we'll do the legend of Jumbo Ozaki. Uh, he is the all-time wins leader on the Japan Golf Tour. Do you have any sense of how many times he won on the Japan Golf Tour? Eighty-two. Ninety-four. Ooh. Chase for eighty-two. So why did you guess eighty-two? I don't know. That must have been subliminally in my head. 94 wins on the Japan Golf Tour. Do you know who had the next most and, and what amount, what number? Like 34. 51 by Asayo Aoki. Oh, who, yeah. They were kind of contemporaries. Were they rivals? A little bit. There's, I got some intel from uh, some across, across the Pacific. People have been deep in the Japanese golf scene. Uh, Aoki was apparently like the genteel one. He's like, and uh, people who, you know, your dad wanted you should model yourself after Asai Aoki, whereas Jumbo was more of a John Daly type, more no definitely way. flamboyant. Yeah, yeah, but Jumbo is definitely all time the greatest Japan golf tour player of all time. Ninety four wins. They're both in the World Golf Hall of Fame, Aoki and Ozaki. Uh, well, deservingly too. Yeah, of course. Jumbo didn't get in until twenty eleven though. Masashi Jumbo Ozaki. Um, 94 Japan were 94 Japan tour wins, 114 professional wins. It's a lot. That's a lot of wins. Um, he rose but, to prominence. Well, hold on. How many PGA tour wins? Cause that's all zero. that matters. Zero. And so, we'll get to that. Zero wins. Zero, zero. wins. According Didn't play to one, much. one organization, zero wins. He didn't do anything. 
Never as far. I, I mean, I don't know if he ever even earned a single FedEx Cup point. Probably not. That started in 2007. But uh, yeah, no PGA Tour wins. His best win outside of the Japan Tour, it's debatable. The 72 New Zealand PGA Championship was a big one. Um, we'll talk a little bit about why he didn't go to the to the states that much, but um, he's had a T eight in the Masters, a T six in the U.S. Open, eighty nine, Oak Hill. Had a chance to beat Curtis Strange, but we had two of two and two holes. I think twelve and fourteen at Oak Hill. Yeah, kind of fell off down the stretch. He was right there, um, and then T ten at the nineteen seventy nine Open Championship. So. In 49 majors, he had 10 top 25s, three top 10s. Uh, his top 10 at the Masters came in 1973, T8, with Tommy uh, Tommy Aaron won it. Um, and like, so so 73 was really when he blew on the, burst onto the scene uh, in Japan. He won five times on the Japan tour. Uh, rose to prominence in 73 at the TA of the Masters, and he claimed the first of 12, 12 money titles, Order of Merits, Japan Tour. It's pretty damn good. That's not bad. Um, I might put been, him in the Hall of Fame right now. Yeah, I would hope so. 12 Order of Merits? Put him yeah. in your Hall of Fame? Yeah. I would hope so. So he had 200 weeks inside the top 10 OWGR. And I mean, he came out of the scene in '73. The that's 13 years before the OWGR yes. even started. Yes, that's the thing. Like he was just he was almost in his 50s. Might have been in his 50s inside the top 10. He was. I mean, he competed. He competed even to like a few years ago. He he just keeps playing even if he WD. I saw the one year he WD nine out of 12 starts. <laughs> he's like 69 though. He's like playing. He's he's really old. To be playing on the the Japan Golf Tour against like Rio Ishikawa and players like that, uh, so he won the Order of Merit twelve times, two hundred weeks in the OWGR. Um, what else did he do? He, he, you know, he 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 led the money title five years in a row from ninety four to ninety eight. He, he had six. He, got to, Jap- he was fifth in the world rankings when he was forty nine years old. Yeah. His his peak in the OWGR was yeah forty nine. He got the fifth. <laughs> That's kind of crazy. Unreal. It's insane. Seventy three. He declined. Seventy three was that peak, uh, or I'm sorry, his first peak. But he was right at the height of his powers on the Japan Golf Tour, like in his forties. He dominated it for decades, but you know his peak in the OWGR was forty nine. Um, among his most prominent victories, he did six Japan PGA, five Japan Open. I think it actually, that might be a, uh, an old article. Japan, I think Japan PGA won eight times. He won the Dunlop Phoenix six times. The Teheo Masters three times. So like those are fields, Dunlop, Teheo Masters. Like you had Fred Couples coming over. You had like real players playing in those events. Let, they're all real, play- but you know, you had a lot of a stronger international field and he would still blitz them. Um, yeah, at 69, he played in 12 events, WD from nine, but I think he shot 62 when he was 68 years old on the Japan golf tour. So he's like still competing. Think about like a guy that on the champions tour right now, really 
but it, champions tour eligible by 20 years still trying to play um he's part of the best golf family ever according to brandel chambly i listened to actually sean zock i just found a podcast he did a podcast on jumbo with john garrity uh on golf.com three or four years ago and he had this brandel calls him the greatest golfing family ever because you know jet and joe are his two younger brothers um Jed Ozaki was on. Was did he play? Did he play Japan tour, and then did he play ever on European tour? He may have. Joe played Champions Tour in the States. Joe made a Presidents Cup himself, Presidents Cup team. Uh, and Joe, so Jumbo is number one on the Japan Golf Tour wins all time leader, and Joe is fourth. He won thirty two oh. times himself. Holy cow! Yeah, so two brothers in the top five, and then you had Jet, who was a very strong player in was his own right. Was their dad like, into golf, or how did they get into golf? Jet won 15 times, so he's 16th on the all-time Japan tour. So 15, 94, 32, and 15 wins. Probably the greatest golf family of all time. Um, well, zero PGA Tour wins, though. Zero. Again... Six-time Dunlop, Tejo Masters. He's doing it at like all the premier events. Top tens at majors. Um, but a lot of this was also, he was like this myster- man of mystery for like an American audience, right? And I alluded to that whole John Daly thing. He teed it up way high. Like, so he was really early in teeing it up like three, four inches. And he would like swing way up on the ball. He just murdered the ball. Um, ben Crenshaw called him he's like the early example of a power player like just this athletic build he's not huge for the nickname jumbo he's six feet but he's very like well put together thick he's boy. not yeah 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 preeminent thick boy he's got like this mane of hair like this mullet kind of thing he had sideburns way down for a while he's got just he's got a thick looking build thick head squared off kind of haircut um and he's, yeah, it's Crenshaw, early example of a power golfer. Um, he's the Arnold you know, Palmer. Hideki's pretty thick, too. Yeah, he's got a, yeah, he's thick in the middle. I'm looking at the picture. They're both, they got that same kind of build. Yeah, yeah. Uh, beyond the wins, he's like the Arnold Palmer of Japan. That That's like the cliche about him. He was just crazy popular, broad, just Inspired the whole generation that came after him, the Shigeki Mariyamas, the Katayamas, obviously now with Matsuyama and, um, you know, just, just the whole, he supercharged the Japan tour. Like the Japan tour was a product of really the seventies and, and just, he made it more of a, a relevant tour, whether that be a stepping stone to something else, or if you wanted to stay and play only on the Japan tour. Um, he, uh, he played like he was known for like his crazy outfits, right? And John Garrity had a lawn profile on him, and it wasn't just like the the design. So he had like all these stripes and triangles and geometric shapes. But apparently, like he was big into materials. Like they had to be thousands of dollars worth of material, like velours, cashmere's, all of these crazy materials. It was like really. Um, I don't know. He would peacock around. So it wasn't just colors and designs, but the materials had to be like super uh, primo. He had three songs reached uh, the Japanese pop charts in 1980s. Got into music 
He's on the Japan pop charts. Three of them. Man. What, are, just, what other golfer right now do you think could get into music? And, and... I don't know. I don't know. Very few. Who would you bet um, on? I don't know. That's a good question. Bryson? What? Is that just the default? I could see him try not not actually being successful, but attempting to think he was a pop star. I feel um, like uh Kelly Craft and Sam Ryder could get into like the the jogger. They could have a, a band why centered around joggers, and you know they're. Oh uh, so it was a lot more than just the the success. It was the way he did it. Charisma. He was allegedly like super aggressive. Just rip it, tee it up high, rip it. Really aggressive. Obviously, did great success. Had the family around him. He would travel with these massive entourages. When he'd come outside of Japan, he would usually bring like a sushi chef so and rent an enormous house. So his entourage felt at home. He seems like he spent a lot of money. Yes, a ton of money. <laughs> but I'll get to He probably made more money than anyone in the 90s. Anyone on any tour. Because, you know, Japan, the 80s and 90s, Japan economy was booming and he was doing well. Um, so he'd, bring, he'd rent the biggest house, bring a sushi chef. There's this Brandel Chambly anecdote in an article. Brandel seems very fond of him. He called them Sinatra and Spikes. And he was once playing with them and they were waiting for a green to clear. And Jumbo puts his two fingers out, like doing the peace sign. But actually what it meant was he needed a cigarette. And uh, somebody of his entourage immediately like appeared out of nowhere and put a cigarette in between his fingers. Standing on the tee, doing the peace sign. Guy, guy appears out of the ether to put a cigarette between his fingers. Um, so that's, that's a little bit of the character. Uh, we'll get into now some of the source material. I talked to, um, a friend from the, uh, a friend who's deep, deep in the Japanese golf scene, deep in golf history, but certainly specific to Japanese golf history. So some of this is a, uh, I don't know if it's reporting, but beyond just secondary sources, um, and this person who chose to remain anonymous suspects in the early 90s he was the richest golfer in the world. Had to be the richest golfer in the world. Just given the cash, given the Japanese economy, given the way he won. And there's a few articles later just about Brian. There was a Brian Watts article about the guy that's like the easiest money. These purses are bigger than the PGA Tour. And uh, Jumbo was cleaning up. Um, Brian Watts, I, the guy that purposely hit his ball. Yes, yes. Yes, he would decline. He declined a special invitation to play in the Masters because he was allegedly, you know, according to this source, he had a habit of hanging out with the wrong people in Tokyo, Yakuza members or Yakuza, which is the organized crime in Japan. And he was a he was a great player, but you know, these associations with the mob, you know, started to leak out in the press. But not in the U.S., but more in Japan. He was, you know, maybe friends with or possibly even working with the Yakuza. So he thought it would become a sideshow or distraction. And, you know, if he'd won or been in contention, it would just blow up in Japan. So he didn't even go to the Masters, allegedly, because of that. Um, but here's the he contrarian. He was just putting his money to work on the street. Here's the contrarian take from our source from overseas. Um, about why maybe he became tied up with them. 
The economy in Japan in the 80s, 90s was a complete bubble and golf is wildly popular. And you couldn't join a club there for less than like US equivalent of 250,000. This is the 80s or 90s. That's insane. So the mafia types control these local governments and they're able to get golf courses approved because they're crooks. So the Jap- Japanese Yakuza really starts to take over like entire portions of the golf business, golf world. They're getting these clubs built. Um, there's like a legendary tale of a top Yakuza member offering 3.5 million to join one, a, a top tier club, a Koganai. Um, so Azaki is pretty much in the prime of his career during this time. And so it was like hard to navigate the Japanese golf world without like having to deal with the mafia in some way. Um, you know, the old school courses like Hirono, Hirono, yeah, Hirono. Like they didn't get tied up in this. This was all this like new age courses, 250K to join, all this stuff. But it was really hard for Jumbo to probably navigate the golf world at this time without touching some tentacles of the, of the mob. Um, and that was like the contrarian take. Not necessarily that he was like, you know, boys with everybody in the, in the organized crime family. But we'll get into a little bit maybe the popular take as opposed to the contrarian take. More from our source overseas. Much of the fact is that he never ever won on the PGA Tour. Quote, but that is a lot of bullshit. I don't think he really ever cared. And uh, because he was like the most popular player on one of the richest tours in the world. Yeah. He's just making an absolute killing. Uh, people who complain that he never really played on the tour, who cares? No one on the PGA Tour made more, more money than Jumbo in the 80s and 90s. Um, what else? Uh, he's truly, he's one of the greats of his generation. He, he I'm certain that 100% sure if he cared at all about the PGA tour, he played there and won a lot, but he just didn't care. Uh, he probably made more money than Norman doing pop songs and being a celebrity in Japan. Um, so that's it. That, that's that's from someone deep in in Japan golf. Again, the Aoki Iseo Aoki point. Um, he's the complete opposite of Ozaki. He's a gentleman. He's the one you know. People, your dad wanted him to. He wasn't. You know, should... He wasn't uh, tied up with the yakuza. Well, this is a quote from our source. He's probably never even had a parking ticket, let alone been associated with the yakuza. <laughs> uh, Jumbo, not so much. Uh, okay, let's move on. Let's move on here. So this is a John Garrity profile. He's this is the only real American writing on Ozaki in the prime of his career. It's actually towards the end of his career. It was a 1998 profile before the 98 Masters. Jumbo's cigarette touches his lips when he exhales. Smoke plumes past his bold sideburns and unblinking eyes. Jumbo's caddy stands by holding a leather pouch of sand. He will douse the cigarette when Jumbo is ready. Jumbo's tight lip smile suggests boredom or menace. Here in Japan, guy has a pouch, a sand, a pouch. That's just an ashtray for him. Here in Japan, Jumbo is huge. He has a rising sun on the white flag. His feet leave permanent footprints. His muttered jokes bring smiles to spectators 400 yards away as if transmitted over the gallery ropes. He, he is Ichiban, number one, here in Japan. Just Arnold Palmer of Japan. Massive, massive success. And, and I really couldn't find a ton of American writing on him. Garrity, of course, he was the one who did the VJ stuff, right? 
when we profiled VJ, yeah. he went to Fiji. Like, so he must have been really one of the premier you know, reporting on international players. Um, and the Gary profile brings to light some of the cheating allegations. Most of it was put put forth by Norman, who would occasionally dabble with you know Australasia events. Norman alleged that Jumbo would fluff his lie, a Patrick Reed type thing, put his driver down or put his three wood down in the rough behind the ball and fluff his lie. He did it on most most on multiple occasions. He accused him of doing that, and but like the Japanese press allegedly like would treat it. I don't know. They would give it sort of soft treatment. Our source in Japan said it was overblown a little bit. Like there's just too much made of the cheating allegations. Um, the Americans would sneer at his world ranking, which at the time of this Garrity article, he was 10th at 51 years old. He was 10th in the world. Um, and his reluctance to play much outside of Asia. V- visitors to Japan eat up rumors that he is you know, a member, a fellow, fellow traveler of the Yakuza. So just this man of mystery. Um, I should add, before he became a golfer, he was a star pitcher, rising star pitcher, and just gave it up. He got into golf because uh, his, I think his coach, his baseball coach was into golf. He was like obsessed with golf and he got jumbo into golf. Um, Unbelievable. He was, he was star pitcher for like a, a spring national champion, which... You know, according to Garrity in Japan, bestows status comparable to that of a quarterback of the U.S. national champion on a college football team. Pretty good. Really good. So, I mean, it's like, I don't know. Uh, you know, Tua Tagovailoa, all of a sudden taking up golf kind of thing. And, and becoming the best player in the country. Yeah, ever. Um, <laughs> so, he was introduced golf by his uh, manager and. Uh, with the team he signed with in 1967, playing baseball in 67 and 73 as a five win, five win season on Japan tour and gets a top 10 of the majors six years later. Uh, apparently he had like a two personalities. So Masashi was like this more reserved Japanese, uh, like really like devote to like Japanese sort of reticence culture, much more inward and not showy or flashy whereas jumbo is like i know that i need to put on a show and that's my personality i'm gonna wear the loud clothes smoke cigarettes nonstop, try to tell jokes you know and, and interact with the gallery um jumbo emerged 30 years ago when he was teaching himself the game and it, it burst full-blown onto the scene when he gave up baseball at age 22 from the beginning i wanted to look good wear good clothes and be in the spotlight uh, when he won the Dunlop in 96, beating the cream of Asian golfers by score, uh, it was his hundredth pro victory and it marked his third straight title. And, you know, he, he took like great pains to celebrate. He won a hundred yeah. pro pro events. Like this is like, took great pains to celebrate it. Um, and Tom Watson attested to this. He goes, anytime you win a hundred tournaments, you can flat play. So that was sort of the, the debate. Like, we never see him. He can't, how can he be 10th in the world? Um, he won, you know, when he could have been playing the Champions Tour, he won five more Japanese tour events, one by 12 shots. 12 shots. Uh, so it just, like, year to year, constant dominance. domination. Yeah. By the way, when he travels, he, the entourage is called the Koban. 
the at the master masters he rents like one of the largest houses in augusta augusta flies in the sushi chef from new york um the golfers dress like him there's just so much detail let's do go specific couple of different specific tentacles do, did you see this driver article yeah i've got a lot on the driver yeah got a lot on the driver there's some you want to talk about it i, I just i just found it i was just rummaging so, around the internet Norman was the big antagonist of his cheating, fluffing lies. But O'Meara's caddy, uh, I think his name was Higginbotham, Jerry Higginbotham, said he'd heard uh, like he was playing Chinese checkers when he marks his ball, was the quote he told Garrity. But then Higginbotham like caddied against him or in an event is like he's he's unbelievable. Unbelievable talent. I didn't see any cheating. So he like relayed the rumors of cheating played with them they came back to garrett he's like he's an unbelievable talent i didn't notice anything on tour especially with marking chinese checkers marking his ball uh but norman was pissed pissed off at him the other thing allegation beyond cheating was that he played with non-conforming equipment all the americans were convinced he was playing a hot ball and a hot driver the ball though he was just ahead of everybody he's playing a a a two-piece solid core ball and teeing it way up. Whereas yeah. like guys that eventually got into that. Apparently it was a ball that was just like you could get for cheap. It was out there. It was a I Bridgestone pre- ball. Pre- precept, yeah, Bridgestone, right. yeah. So it was just like a, it was a, a two-piece solid core ball that, you know, they didn't have, I don't think it had the urethane cover yet. Like it probably didn't spin a ton around the green, but he would just hammer it. No spin and crushed it. That would become the ball. So these guys all thought it was a hot ball and eventually it would become the technology that they all started using. He was just a little ahead of people. Um, what else? At the 2000 Masters, so th- this is, uh, that Garrity had a big article on the 2000 Masters, the ball changing, which I would recommend. We're not going to get into ball debates now. This would become three hours long. But 59 out of 95 players used wound golf balls at the 2000 Masters. And then, you know, the next year, 01, 24 of the top 25, uh, including the winners, played solid core balls. Changed Do you know really who the, the one holdout was when they finished in the top 25 playing a wound ball? Mac O'Grady. Kirk Triplett, the bucket boy. The bucket boy. 2001 Masters. Was trying to hold on to his wound, wounder. Only four players in the field used it. He might have won that year if he had been using solid core. <laughs> triplet so 59 in 2000 only four used in 2001 um just this was a i don't know I, it was a really good diversion into the ball that I, I would recommend um and this was where like urethane comes in moldable material uh it like you know adds to the soft feel and a bit of grab on finesse shots uh, there's disagreement. Who was the first to perfect the urethane process? But Nike Bridgestone won the rush to the marketplace. Uh, and, and this is the Nike guys talking about it. You title this being full of shit in this Garrity article. It's a fun, fun, uh, f- fun dive into the change in the ball technology. 2001 article. But in there, he goes, this has been going on in Asia forever. Jumbo Ozaki wowed visiting Westerners with his booming tee shot. Since Ozaki was about as tall as a file cabinet and pushing 50, the visitors reached the obvious conclusion he was cheating. Rumors spread that Ozaki was playing a hot ball, an illegal prototype manufactured for him by the engineers at Bridgestone. When you think about it, uh, this was a Callaway. 
uh, rep. Jumbo was the first who teed it up three and a half to four inches and then launched it at 12 or 13 degrees with little spin. He was playing a solid core ball made by Bridgestone, and those balls were and are very good. So competitors saying it. But late 90s, they're like, this guy's playing Cheating. a hot ball. Yeah. Also, there are allegations about his driver. He had a Bridgestone driver. That I think it became like the J driver. The his J, own yeah, driver. The J. Um, and, and we found this in the 1990 Masters when Nicholas, uh, with on our Faldo recap, but Nicholas played it, Floyd played it. They were like, they couldn't believe this driver. Um, and allegedly, Nicholas, like, he, he went to Japan and, and Ozaki was like, Pairing it by him, yeah, like fifty on a, yards. So on a, on one par five, Nicholas recalled, "I hit a good drive, a two iron, and a pitching wedge to the green. Jumbo reached it with a driver and an eight iron. I finally turned to him and said, what are you using?' The J driver, allegedly, Nicholas. He was, he was out hitting the Golden Bear by ninety yards. <laughs> Nicholas allegedly, I think Garrity added this, took that back to McGregor." Who was his? Yeah, this, and, this, there's a New York Times article that talks about this. And McGregor like stripped it down and found that it was like just a metal version of Jack's old McGregor wood. Allegedly, it was very similar to the, but just a metal version of it. And so Jack like immediately took a liking to it and was able to hit it well. But Bridgestone J got the all the rage, and Floyd had it ninety. Jumbo gave it to Nicholas as a gift. It became this other, like, very uh, Ozaki-specific, you know, equipment. I don't know if it's controversy, but but phenomenon. Here's uh, here's Jack. I don't hit it any straighter than I do with my old driver, but it penetrates the wind better. And when it hits the hard hits on hard ground, it seems to roll and roll. I don't know what the shaft is. It just has an X on it. <laughs> is that what Jack said? Yeah. Kind of unbelievable. Um, it, you know, yeah, so that was the big thing at the 90 Masters. Uh, you know, allegedly at the the PGA, I read an article of PGA National, his newest weapon, the graphite driver, he flilched, filched from Japan's jumbo, uh, was like neutralized at PGA National. It's just like this became... A phenomenon for Jack, even and Ray Floyd when he was contending at the '90 Masters. All right, let's get back to a little bit of the Garrity stuff. Um, press treatment, like they, you know, J- Jumbo's response when they so he got a little bit of criticism for the Yakuza stuff. His response was the sound of one hand clapping. Never gave interviews. Basically, would do the press conferences if you wanted to talk to him. Like you had to send letters to Bridgestone or an equipment company or his man, like his manager, like he just, and you just take a few days and you'd be like, decline. Apparently Garrity eventually got him, but only for like a few questions. Um, You know, and you just get, you know, almost nine times out of 10, you get denied and it takes like weeks and weeks to ever get anything outside of his press conference. Interest. He collected cars, played guitar, played guitar, talked about those pop hits um he's according to garrity he's the opposite of aoki who just only knows golf here's ozaki aoki san looks at golf as his hobby and his work i envy him in a way but i know i cannot do that i need to get away 
and he just smokes. He crushes his cigarette in his ashtray, lights another. I have used up a lot of time and money on hobbies. So when Garrity was there, he had moved on from cars and singing to bonsai trees, like $10,000 bonsais, into grooming these trees and uh, wine, huge into wine. So just constant hobbies, spending a ton of money. Um, On staying in Japan, he said, uh, hold on, I lost it. It's like, I've seen the American tour, the enthusiasm in the galleries and the level of play. It's too bad I wasn't born there so I could feel that same fire in me. The Japanese world, the Japanese golf world needs me though. Needs. He smiles indulgently. No, Japan does need Jumbo. His speed tribe melding of Elvis, James D, and Liberace with the golf peacock of Dan- Doug Sanders thrown in. The tournament site is a stage for me. I want to sort of I want to be the sort of person the fans want me to be. So totally playing up to that crowd and didn't have, like knew he did, wouldn't have that appeal necessarily in America. So he just didn't bother going over there. Um, what else do we have here? So there were all those questions of why he can't win outside Japan. His, de- his detractor says because he can't stretch the rules outside of Asia. Others point out that Ozaki has never made a concerted assault at the majors. More intriguing theory, and one that mirrors a common complaint of many Japanese women about their husbands, is offered by Ayako Akamoto, the Japanese pro who won 17 tournaments in an LPGA tour. This is fantastic. Um, so she said, sorry, I lost my place. She says, Ozaki and the other men can't win abroad because they're the victims of the doting mother syndrome prevalent in Japan. That is, they're so spoiled they can't function on their own, or as she puts it, they can't make it without their cup noodles. Unbelievable. Just the LPGA Japanese start going right at them. They're softies. They can't win outside of Japan. They need to be doted on by their you know, wives or their moms. Uh, and Ozaki has this non-explanation. When I get in that as- atmosphere, I don't get the urge to win as strongly, which seems like kind of a punt. Yeah. You know? Um, you know, he, he pushed at the 73 Masters. Dan, Jen- Dan Jenkins wrote that up. He's like, I- we don't know anything about this. And Chi-Chi Rodriguez, it would be a good thing for a foreigner to win the Masters. So 73, you know, we're still, we don't get the British invasion yet. It would be good for human relations, good for England, for Osterhaus, who was in contention, Japan for Ozaki, but better for Puerto Rico and Chi-Chi. So 73 Masters is maybe his first big intro outside of Japan. Um, he got really into teaching. He had just this school of players. So he's, he's allegedly shy. You know, he's flamboyant on the course, but sort of shy when talking. But he's not a recluse, according to Garrity. In his backyard, by his practice facility, he had an enormous backyard. He has built a motel-style housing for members of his gundan, or the 20 or so golf apprentices who look to him for instruction and career guidance. It is commonplace, insiders say, for Ozaki's wife to cook dinner for 30. So he's got these 20 like apprentices living in a motel in his backyard. Every January, the Gundan moves to the tropical Okinawa or Kyushu for Jumbo's Spring Camp, a sort of grapefruit league for golfers. There, Jumbo leads calisthenics and prepares his charges, such as the effervescent Shigeki Mariyama, this is 1998, who rode the leaderboard for much of last year's PGA Championship. 
He prepares them for the rigors of international golf. The irony, of course, is that Jumbo has chosen the most parochial of career paths. So he never went outside Japan, but he's allegedly kind of coaching and building and planning, you know, housing all these younger charges to play international golf. Sounds sounds like the KJ Choice School. He's got building a motel. I love the motel. That's unbelievable. Um, What do you think the rooms are like in the motel? I don't know. Probably pretty nice. He's a man of means and very, you know, he, he spares no expense. Uh, what other like international showing 96 president's cup. He finally played. Uh, he passed before though in 94. How did he do in the one president's cup? Uh, I forgot to look that up. I had, Oh, he, he played with Sane and they, they beat Freddie and love 96. So that was couples and love, you know, they were the world cup superstars. Mm -hmm. It went paired with Sane. Ozaki and Sane beat him. But I guess Norman, the President's Cup, we, we should do a deep dive on President's Cup one day. The origins of it. In 1994, Norman, the world's number one player then, he was sidelined by a virus and Ernie and Jumbo just turned it down. Straight up turned it down. Qualified for the President's Cup, said no. Over the next two years, Norman and his mates applied considerable pressure to bring Els and Ozaki into the fold. In fact, last month, this is a Shipnuck article, 96. Last month at the PGA Championship at Valhalla, the shark Jay walked across two fairways to recruit Ozaki. Keep pressuring him, and he didn't like him. No, this so they had reconciled a little bit. Norman just wanted to play with them, you know, needed him on the Presidents Cup, and he did play at '96. They beat uh, couples in love. In 1998, Joe Ozaki played, and that was when they the internationals smoked him, and they kind of like, how did this happen? U.S. had five of the top ten players in the world. Well, the international had no bads that included Paraguayan Carlos Franco, Frank Nabolo, not another Kiwi named Greg Turner, um, you know, and Jumbo Ozaki's kid brother, Joe. And they lost, got smoked. Um, major championships, we'll talk about that real quick. 89 US Open, Oak Hill. Our source of Japan said that was like the heartbreaker. The real close one, like Matsuyama, Quill Hollow, Tommy Nakajima, old course. This was like, he was pushing Curtis Strange. He was maybe Strange's biggest threat yeah, until he, he bogeyed we, those I watched back that, nine. that back nine. He was in there late. Um, he started, you know, he hit two really bad drives on 14 and 16 and ended it. Uh, 90 Masters, he was involved because everybody was using his equipment. 1995 Shinnecock plays with Norman, final group. On Saturday, this was Paven one Sunday, but he was in the final group on Saturday, um, and he got vaporized, got completely nuked. I think he shot a forty-five on the back nine, shot eighty overall. Um, he he climbed within a stroke of the lead and dropped entirely off the leaderboard with the backside forty-five. He hit a uh, he double bogey ten, which is you know the hilly Mm -hmm. hilly one up and down par four and uh doubled 16 which is par five probably not gonna win there with the double there he finished with an 80 so that was like a a a close ish call playing in the last group the the finish doesn't represent where he was on the weekend Yeah. yeah uh he allegedly was arguing for a friendly ruling for from an anthill which he argued was a 
burrowing animal, but our guy Trey Holland from the uh, the urologist who gave Ernie the friendly drop wouldn't give it to Jumbo the following year uh, from an anthill. Um, here's a 1994 Brian Watts. This is what I wanted to say. The competition, Watts admits, on the Japan Golf Tour is inferior, but the purses are not. Each of the 38 JPGA events offers between 600 grand and 2 million. Having won five times this year, Watts has seized 1.2 million, 1.28 million of that loot, which makes him second to leading, second to uh, Jumbo, who's already almost at 1.88 million. He's tops on that tour and led the entire world in earnings. So 1994 made almost two million. Uh, it's welcome to the land of the rising sum. Only six players in the world have earned more money in official events than Brian Watts in 94. This is the same player four times failed to make it out of Q school. The money's so much easier to make and you know, you can make a ton of it. And that's like a lot of that's due to jumbo, right? The economy's yeah. booming. Jumbo's this leader. Why? So why would he ever leave? That was like a major part of it. He was making so much money. Granted, there was prestige in the masters. He turned it down. He turned down the masters more than once. Um, but you know, he was living it up in Japan. There was no real reason to like to take off. And that led to critiques. This guy's fifth in the world. This guy's 10th in the world. He's allegedly we cheating. We see that still now, like with the international players. Off. There is a little bit, right? So, um, and I don't know. He's just, I think he was a real perfectionist. He was a flamboyant character, obviously had ties to allegedly the Yakuza. One more thing. Because Gary had tried to firm it up with that. Bridgestone, he bailed on Bridgestone for this random sort of, it was unclear that this this company called World One Equipment. Uh, the Since journalists have shown little interest in following up on the Yakuza, Ozaki punishes Yamayori by refusing to talk to its reporters. It's still a delicate, delicate subject, says a Yamayori business writer. It's an outlet. You don't ask whose money is behind Jumbo or World One. Bridgestone would like to know too. The Japanese golf equipment dominates its home market thanks largely to its long relationship with Ozaki. But last November, Jumbo signed an equipment deal with little-known World One, an entertainment company that started 10 years ago as a pipsqueak outfit renting karaoke machines. This company was renting karaoke machines. They gave Ozaki estimated to be as high as 200 million over five years or no lower than 20 million, which is a big gap, 20 to 200 million. But this company- Pretty fishy. So it invited speculation. The deal was designed to, you know, funnel cash to the golfer. Um, Bridgestone was left with just the ball. So he kept playing the ball. All right, so that's it. Made a ton of money at home, being the Laura Palmer, you know, endorsements, winning. Uh, being this personality was much more reserved off the course, kind of at home. He was Masashi on the course. He was jumbo smoke nonstop, total character, legend of golf is in your hall of fame. There's a Japan times article that says he's bankrupt. That's the other thing. He allegedly chased tons of real estate, bad real estate. And apparently that world one deal was maybe to funnel cash to him via untoward sources. So, uh, I think he is. He's got he won 115 times, 114 times. How do you win 114 times and not be in it? I yeah, I I think it's hard. Like I just don't think it wasn't because he couldn't make it. He just 
doesn't seem like he was interested or needed to. Granted, he could have gone to more majors. His major record is underwhelming. He competed. When he... The thing I got was when he competed against those guys, you have Crenshaw talking about it, Hale Irwin talking about it, you know, O'Meara's Looper attest to it. Norman eventually came around. Like, they're like, this guy's an unbelievable world-class talent. They couldn't believe how far he was hitting the ball and just really his overall talent. He was so, ahead of his times, too. With the solid core? Yeah. So, all right. Pop singer, legendary Hall of Famer. Uh, and in fact, in the World Golf Hall of Fame. That's our flashlight on Jumbo. Approaching spotlight territory there, except just just me narrating it. All right, Jumbo. Jumbo. We're going to push yours to another time. Does that make sense? That's fine. That's fine. The <laughs> we'll world will have to wait for Chris Patton. Chris Patton, amateur win. The guy who Rick Riley destroyed in that article. All right, everyone enjoy your Wednesdays. We will be back Friday with uh, Ernie Els. Get deep into Ernie Els, the year 2000 onward, his last two majors. And uh, enjoy your uh, Wednesdays. We'll be back. 